Hi everybody. In this uh, in this single, I'm going to be talking about uh, something that's pretty important to me um, as someone who was going to school uh, for biological sciences, specifically in uh, ecology. Uh, today, I'm going to be talking about climate change and sort of just things around the idea of climate change, I guess. So this one may end up going pretty long. I may record it in two parts. So if I stop halfway down the middle, <clears throat> or there's some weird cut, that's probably why. Uh, so to start off with, yes, I don't believe climate change is a thing. Climate change is a thing. We need to stop talking about it like it's an opinion, and like we need to start talking about it like it's a fact. So, as well, what does that mean? The Earth is warming up. That's just just a fact. You can't argue about it. The numbers are there. It's one of the things I like about science. Some people will say, well, the Earth is just supposed to heat up. It goes through natural cycles of heating and cooling. Yes, that is very true. However, you cannot argue the humans are not... You cannot argue the humans are not polluting the planet. Simply put, there is twice as much CO2 in the atmosphere, or twice as much carbon, I believe, in the atmosphere as there was in 1980, okay? If you take two chambers and you fill one up with regular air and another one up with carbon dioxide, the one with carbon dioxide gets hotter. If they're underneath the same wattage heat lamp, that's just how it is. It's a greenhouse gas. It has a higher heat capacity and it just holds heat much more than nitrogen, which is what 80% of the atmosphere is made of. So that is that is just a fact. You cannot argue with that. So yes, the world is heating up. Yes, the Earth undergoes heating and cooling. However, there seems to be an effect of humans. It, it's inarguable. And even if there is zero effect of humans, what is the danger of changing our lives to allow what is the danger of changing our lives to allow for, you know, less, less environmental impacts on the way, on the way we live because of the way we live, I guess. So if we change to electric vehicles, um, solar power, wind power, tidal power, geothermal energy, if we change to that, the worst possible outcome is that we have now lived cleaner lives and the earth may continue warming but at least we are leaving clean, living cleaner lives and we're not affecting the world as much so one thing that a lot of people you hear a lot spouted a lot is uh, we are in the sixth mass extinction in all of earth's history uh, we are losing species at the fastest rate as since uh, the KT comet the, and the, um, when the comet came and killed the dinosaurs. We're leave it, losing species at a rate of about uh, a thousand times faster than we should be. Uh, species extinction is completely normal. Uh, a normal rate would probably be between 5 and 10 species a year, uh, and we are lo losing between 5,000 and 10,000 a year. That is just too much. Uh, 
uh, and it's not just climate change. Uh, I kind of want to talk about not just climate change, but just anthropogenic effects uh, on the world, uh, habitat loss, uh, habitat destruction, uh, litter pollution. Uh, when I say pollution, not just air pollution, ocean pollution, ground pollution, you know, agricultural runoff, things like that. So we have all these anthropogenic effects and it is, I mean, clearly killing animals because it's not just climate change that's killing animals. The biggest one is probably habitat loss. You know, there's this really cool program uh, by Google. I don't know if it's by Google or just in collaboration with Google, but it's called uh, Google Time Lapse or Google Earth Time Lapse. And you can go anywhere in the world and it'll show you a time lapse of how that place has changed in the past 30 years. Uh, And it's really great for things like uh, limnological studies, uh, seeing how rivers change over time. It's super cool, but it's also super depressing. If you look at certain areas, you can literally see entire cities being born and knocking down hundreds and thousands of acres of forest for people to live in and it's it's rough and i appreciate that people need a place to live uh but we need to do better i guess the only answer is really to stop making more people but the truth is a lot of the climate problems a lot of the wildlife problems come from third world countries come from eastern countries maybe not third world but definitely eastern countries and that's not to say that they are worse about it that's to say that western countries especially canada and america love to ship their trash to uh eastern countries china india they also love to export their industry to china and india you know Bangladesh. Uh, and then when you look at maps of, you know, the most, the highest greenhouse gas, gas highest greenhouse gas uh, country, emission, emitters by country, you get to see, you know, America and Canada are really low on the scale and you get to feel all good. And then you see super high on the scale, India and China, and you think, oh, they're, you know, they need to do better. But the truth is a lot of that is coming from us and by shipping it over there we can turn a blind eye to it which is why i advocate quite often for you know recycling is better than throwing things away but the best thing you can do is just avoid as much plastic packaging as you can avoid single-use plastics it's crazy to me and again single-use plastics definitely a climate change thing because you need oil to make it and you need to produce it any kind of production uh is bad it's going to produce some sort of energy unless it's uses green energy to make it but uh single-use plastics you have to get the oil whether it's from uh, an oil rig out in the ocean whether it's from the tar sands uh all those places Uh, The the oil has to be extracted, which is really bad for the environment. I mean, they're called tar sands and oil sands. You know, it's it's 
it's literally a puddle of sand and oil. Uh, you have to ship it. You have to do all that. And, you know, it's crazy to me. And, you know, paper stuff as well. Just, you know, it's crazy to me that I, I you can go into uh, a grocery store and you buy something. You buy two or three things. I, I want, you know, hundreds of people every day. You can sit outside any shop. It's a big grocery store like Superstore or small mom and pop shop, uh, small corner store. You can go, you can sit outside and watch person after person walk out with bags, quite often only holding one or two things. So you can watch people walk in and out of these places with single-use bags, you know, often carrying only one or two things. And this is the life of the bag. It is extracted from the ground. It is processed into plastic. It's extracted from the ground, refined, shipped, processed into plastic, shipped... It arrives at the store in a box. It sits by the cashier. Someone buys a bag of chips and chocolate bar. They put it inside the plastic bag. They walk it to their car. They get in the car. They drive home. They go into their kitchen and they empty the plastic bag. That bag had a usable life of about... had, had a life, a usage of about 20 minutes. And all the time and effort it goes into making that, uh, you know, with, it's crazy to me. I, I'm, I'm going to keep saying this. With all the focus there is in single-use plastic, the, the willingness that people have to just ignore what they should be doing, you know? Oh, this is more convenient. It's a very minor change in your lifestyle it can make a, a huge difference you know a lot of people say oh i'm just one person but the problem is seven billion people think oh i'm just one person you can't put it on governments and companies to make these decisions yes they definitely should however when it comes to governments it's who you vote for that makes the difference and when it comes to companies especially large corporations they do what the people want if people are paying five cents a bag so that they can carry a box of kd uh or a freaking bundle of bananas then the corporations are just going to keep doing it you know so it it is on you as an individual you know using large corporations and the government or other people as scapegoats it's not that's that's not the way to get things done uh, and the same thing I went I tried to avoid going to fast food restaurants every now and then but I do occasionally and I went to McDonald's and I ordered uh, junior chicken and I said to, for here right I just want an entree don't need a bag or anything so I said I'm going to eat it here they give it to me in a bag and at that point, there's no point in me giving it back because they're not going to reuse the bag. They just throw it away. I've watched them. I've done it before. So that bag, the life of that bag was literally me picking up from the counter, walking to the table, sitting down, and removing the food item. And then just went in the trash. Sometimes I take them home and put them in the compost, compost if I can. But I ride a motorcycle, so sometimes space is limited. It's it's just crazy that the world is still going this way. And 
you know, I mentioned it's just one person, and I also mentioned Eastern countries. And the truth about Eastern countries, especially developing nations like third and second world nations, uh, a lot of those places have large families. And, you know, they're going to work. Sorry, someone just flushed the toilet upstairs and I have to pause recording for a second. I am right underneath the pipe that the toilet goes down, the water goes down. It's if, if you've listened to past episodes and you've heard running water, that's why. Because someone's poop is flowing about five feet from my head. It's pretty great. Anyway, uh, Eastern families, developing country, developing nation families, uh, they're usually quite large. And quite often there's only a couple people providing for those families. And I don't blame them. You know, they're often working jobs that, you know are not sustainable, they're not good for the environment, uh, they don't worry about the environment, they just, you know, their primary concern is feeding their families, uh, and I get that, I don't, I certainly don't fault them for it, but the question is, how do we fix this? And the truth is education. I don't mean education about the environment, I mean education in general, because a lot of those countries, uh, uh, very low quality education you know people start to work when they're 12 they're making 12 dollars or like two dollars an hour sometimes even two dollars a day keeping in mind that you know that's probably two american dollars and is worth a lot more over there but it's still not a lot uh so we need to educate them and specifically bear with me on this, educate women, because there's a very strong correlation between, negative correlation between a uh, amount of education a woman has and uh, how many children she has and how early she has children. Now, of course, the confounding variable is the fact that women who want to have kids have kids early and choose to have kids instead of pursuing a career, and that's fine. Uh, however, if you look at developing nations almost across the board, education of women is directly correlated to general increase in GDP. Now, I've never seen the numbers for education in men. Uh, it could be that it's the same for education of men and just general education of children. Uh, but... Uh, education and clean water are huge, especially reproductive education, uh, education about uh, AIDS safety, because that coincides obviously with uh, pregnancy. Uh, protect yourself. Uh, so, really, uh, first world countries and developed nations really need to be investing in education of the developing nations. I think that's incredibly important. On an equally large-scale note, I want to discuss... Well, maybe not discuss, but just address how cultural norms need to be adjusted. Um, This is the part of podcasts where I get critical of other people's cultures. Uh... Hopefully you recognize that the first 15, 12, 13 minutes of this pod, of this episode uh, 
or me being incredibly culture, uh, incredibly critical of Western culture. Uh, Sarah and I went uh, into, I guess you could call it, maybe not really Koreatown, but kind of Koreatown, uh, sort of in the Burquitlam area. And we went into three different Korean bakeries. And every single one of them, you'd look at each each individual bakery item was wrapped in this thin, flimsy, cellophane kind of stuff. I, I mean, it it's a bakery. And I know I get it, you need to protect them from people sneezing and all that. But there's ways to avoid that, like put it behind the counter and put glass in front of it. It's a food safe thing. And I don't know, maybe people want to touch it or something, but is squeezing bread really more important than those shitty, like the, the thing about the really, really flimsy plastic is it gets everywhere. There's nothing holding it down. The slightest gust of wind can make it travel hundreds of miles. And it is, it's so, it's so sad to see. It's sad to see just, and again, what I'm about to say is not just about Korean culture. Well, I don't even want to say Korean culture, Korean bakeries. The ones that the ones we went into, I, I went into three. That's not a very representative sample, and I I recognize that. Um, but it's weird because I you know bakeries, at least local bakeries, usually just have their stuff behind a counter, and you tell them what they want, what you want, and you know they put in a paper bag for you, or it's in a shelf or something. It's protected from sneezes and breathing. But again, it's just crazy to see how many people just toss it off to the side like it's no big deal. And this is why I've said in past podcasts, I generally, genuinely believe we're screwed. I do everything I can personally to try and mitigate my impact. I don't own a car. I may be buying one next year, but I've spent my entire life commuting and riding a motorcycle. Um, I carry around a set of stainless steel utensils and straws. I try to reduce my single-use anything as much as possible. You know, it kind of hurts me. Uh, I try to avoid ordering things from Amazon because I always ship stuff in those shitty bubble wrap envelopes where the bubble wrap is glued straight to the paper and there's no way to separate them. And I just, I really wish people would think more about what they're doing, what they're using, and how really, really small changes can have an effect. If everyone carried around stainless steel utensils, uh, then, and reusable water bottles, then that would be a huge reduction of single-use plastic. Stainless steel straws. Uh, that's another thing. I had a, I had a Korean friend who told me that Koreans uh, refuse to drink tap water, and it's just a cultural thing. And again, I'm, I'm always so afraid of sounding racist. Uh, but as, as a, a cultural. Uh, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is as a cultural norm I guess personally I don't think that's acceptable in the same way I don't think it's acceptable that people are 
getting plastic bags to carry their their takeout food that's already in a container. Uh, it just it it upsets me. So let's talk a little bit more about actual climate change, anthropogenic or not. Some of the effects are things that like like. It's getting so hot in some places that uh, crops aren't growing. Uh, not not because not not because not enough water. It's literally just too hot for the biochemical processes required for crops to grow. And even more scarily, there are there's evidence that around the world in America and India babies are being born with defects because of the heat it's harder for pregnant women to thermoregulate and just like everything else that happens in the body there's an ideal temperature and if you cannot there's a ideal temperature for pregnancy and fetal development and if you cannot maintain that temperature uh then you have problems. The, the the fetus develops issues, and you know, crops won't grow or they they don't produce as much. It's it's a problem, and it's scary to think about. Uh, the there's things like right now in the permafrost, there is as much, if not more, carbon stored. Uh, in the permafrost that is already in the air and that carbon is most mostly methane which I think is uh, I want to say 8 or 20 it's times more has a has a let's just say a significantly greater greenhouse effect than carbon dioxide does which is, again, really dangerous. So, there's places in the world that have extremely high populations that are at sea level. Bangladesh is a city of one million people, and it is one of the first places that will go as ocean levels rise. That's, you know, that's terrifying. Uh, and in somewhat of a cruel, ironic way, Bangladesh is one of the leaders of, well, leaders, one of the main places of industry, right? The main production sites of electronics. It's huge for clothing and fabrics. Uh, you wipe that place off the map and industries begin to collapse. And it, it's, it's sad, but it's true. You know, it, it's kind of one of those things that you realize that the Earth isn't going away. The Earth was hit by a fucking Christ. What was it? A hundred? I'm going to pause here really quick and check the size of what the, the KT comet. The KT comet is fascinating. I just kind of went down a rabbit hole. Anyway, the crater itself is 180 kilometers, about 180 kilometers, uh, which is huge. 
So, if the Earth could come back from that, it's quite obvious that the, well, Earth isn't a being, but, you know, in a larger sense, the Earth doesn't care if humans are here or not. The Earth will go on. Wildlife will continue. Humans will disappear. That's just how it is. Uh, so, you know, the idea that Bangladesh is going to flood and kill all these people is just one of those, it's just a reminder that people are just as susceptible to being fucked up as animals are. Uh, and we've been a very successful species in doing what species are supposed to do and just reproducing and protecting our own. It's 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 sad and it's stressful to think about, which is why I try to do my part. And, you know, I really hope that after, you know, the four people who listen to this, listen to this, you'll at least think about, you know, getting that plastic bag or doing, you know, using a plastic fork before you do. So what else? Um, there's interesting ways to mitigate the impact. If you impact anthropogen- anthropogenic uh, effects in climate change if you feed cattle something like 20% of their diet is seaweed their greenhouse gas emissions drop like 80% or maybe more just because it's good for their stomach uh, if you let them just eat you know eat graze instead of corn and stuff just they produce less greenhouse gas because corn is just sugar and they just process it super fast something else that blows my mind is how people don't know how to use the waste separation bins that seem to be everywhere now I watched someone take uh, I think it was uh, uh, a coffee sleeve and wipe a speck of food off of a desk that they were eating at. They wrap the coffee sleeve up into a napkin. I don't know why they didn't just use the napkin to wipe it up, but whatever. And they walked over and they threw them both into the garbage. The garbage bin was literally right beside the compost bin. And they just didn't even care. And I watch people do this all day. You look into the compost bin and there's plastic in it. And you look into the paper bin and there's tin cans in it. Uh, you look in the garbage and then there's plastic in it. It's, you know, it's ridiculous. You know, and this is in university. This is high, at the very least high school educated individuals and are now at least partially university educated and they can't figure out how to just they can't figure out the waste bins and they're so clearly labeled some of them even have examples like in plastic boxes in front so you know what goes in what and it's not that hard to do and it does not take a lot of brain power and again this is why we're screwed because there's so many damn people there's so many people, and getting that get the more people there are, the harder it is to get people to change their ways. It's it's sad but true. And on the note of the number of people, it kind of wants. It's a good opportunity for me to get on my next point, uh, 
this uh, Greta Thornburg. Thornburg? I don't know how to pronounce her name. Character. Uh, coming over to North America. I like her message. I'm going to start with saying that. I like it. She's getting people... Actually, the truth is, I don't know if she is actually getting people. I think I think at this point, everyone who is on the side of climate change is on the side of climate change. Not many people are changing their minds. Uh, I watched her UN speech, and her yelling at you know the the leaders of the UN for not taking action and looking at looking to children to solve the problem and you know I guess maybe before I go further I kind of have to back up a little bit and it's kind of so here in Canada where everyone who listens to this podcast lives uh, we have a federal election coming up in a couple of weeks it's uh Today is the 7th of October. So, less than a couple of weeks? I'm not sure. There's a federal election coming up very soon. And there are a lot of people angry at the current liberal government. And I guess this is where I'm going to quickly talk about pipelines. I'm hoping to maybe do a blog post about this before the election but I'm not sure if I'll get around to it because I got a lot of shit going on at school. So, there's a lot of people angry at Justin Trudeau. Uh, Three years ago, was it? I can't remember how many years ago it was. He was presented with three pipeline, three pipelines uh, pipeline changes, pipelines upgrades, uh, to increase uh, oil out- output from Alberta to the coast through BC. Two of them were new pipelines, and one of them was a pipeline expansion. So he had to make this hard decision. The thing about uh, elected representatives is they are elected to represent the country. What does that mean? That means that they have to take in the consideration of all the people. So what did he do? He declined the building of the two new pipelines, and he authorized, he gave the go-ahead to expand the Trans Mountain Pipeline. Uh, In my eyes, everyone should be happy with that decision. But, of course, in the world of outrage, nobody is happy. People in Alberta are pissed off because, well, people in Alberta are pissed off because the pipeline's being held up, and people in BC are pissed off because there's a pipeline coming through BC. Now, the pipeline issue is very complex, uh, and I'm more against it than for it, however, I'm not protesting it because I understand why we need it. if we're to believe Trudeau when he says things, he says that he's going to use the money gained from the pipeline to invest in more sustainable energies in the future. Uh, and I would like to believe him, but that money needs to come from somewhere. So people in BC are angry because he's not apparently listening to their voices, and people in Alberta are apparently not listening to their, 
his voice is. So he's kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place where he's trying to help both parties, but uh, he's trying to help both sides, but he's being viewed as being negative to both sides. Uh, there was a moment, well, not a moment, there was, there was a thing that happened uh, over a year ago now, I guess, where Justin Trudeau was injecting money into different economies for each province. Like, each province was getting a bunch of money to support different economies. And he went around to each province, and the last one he went to was Alberta. And Andrew Scheer got really upset that he hadn't given any money to Alberta. Then, of course, Trudeau went to Alberta and injected many millions of dollars to support the oil industry because it was struggling because, surprise, oil isn't a renewable resource. Uh, to which she responded, you know, you can't just give us money and expect everything to be, get better. This was maybe a month after he paid $10 billion to buy the Trans Mountain Pipeline. Uh, so... One of the one of the reasons why I don't like Andrew Scheer is because he's very clearly not interested in helping Canada. He's just interested in saying that the other parties suck. You know, finding things to complain about the other parties and not going out of their way, not not presenting solutions. I don't know if he's even released his platform yet, and it's a couple weeks before the election, which is insane. I could be incredibly wrong but as of a couple weeks ago that was the case so Trudeau literally spent 10 billion dollars to buy the pipeline and he still doesn't have votes well he has some votes in Alberta obviously but not a lot now in BC there's a lot of people who are angry at him they're saying, you're not listening to the voices of people in BC. And the truth is, if you look at survey data, more people in BC are in favor of the pipeline. Trudeau is literally doing what most Canadians want. Now, obviously, like I said earlier, you vote for the candidate that you want to you know, that has values that fit closest to yours, and maybe in some cases that's the NDP. Because the NDP has said that they will staunchly fight the pipeline. Now here's the problem. The NDP I has not been in power in Canada for a long time, and the odds of winning are very, very slim. The other problem is that most of Canada doesn't actually care about the pipeline issue. It's just BC and Alberta. And the majority of people in BC and Alberta want the pipeline. So why would the government, why would the NDP federal government do something that the majority of people don't want? Or not do the thing that the majority of people do want? Why would they say no to the pipeline when most people want the pipeline? That is a bad elected official. That's just a bad elected official. Which then obviously says, points out the fact that if most people want the pipeline, 
that's a large issue or most people don't in all honesty most candies don't actually care about the pipeline issue then he's probably not going to get voted into power now the problem is there are people who are incredibly upset at Trudeau and they want to vote NDP however the left is split between liberal and NDP the right is all for conservatives right so generally if you start splitting the vote between NDP and liberal it drastically increases the likelihood of the conservatives winning and if what you want is environmental protections you're not going to get that if the conservatives win Andrew Scheer has come out and said he is Andrew Scheer has come out and said if he becomes prime minister, he is going to reopen uh, the northern coast, the central northern coast, two tankers, two oil tankers, which Justin Trudeau has banned. It is illegal for oil tankers to be up in the central and northern coast. And nobody talks about that. That is a very good thing. So as I said, if your goal is fixing the environment and you vote NDP, you're likely going to split the vote, and then the conservatives are more likely to end up winning, and you're going to get the complete opposite of what you want. Yes, minority government with a coalition between the NDP and the liberals is possible. However, I think it's probably unlikely. We it Very rarely has the federal government been a minority government. It's possible, but it's unlikely. So I got a little political there, but it was all on the subject of pipelines. Now, to get back to the Greta Thornburg, 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 Herbert Herger thing, she has been very critical of Trudeau, and of course her followers are becoming very critical of Trudeau. And you have every right to be. If you want to vote NDP, then vote away. But just recognize the consequences one of the things you can do is watch your writing and see what people are voting before you go and vote and then vote accordingly but just be careful uh i do want to preface you know just say in general that as a person i generally i think trudeau's a little silly and i think trudeau also recognizes the fact that it's silly to expect one person to govern uh a country of more than 100 people let's say which is why i really appreciate that he relies on public scientists and public opinion and does a lot of talking you know he reopened the census when he got elected in 2015 the long-form census he unmuzzled government scientists you know that's why he relies on suggestions from everyone below him because i don't think he would ever i don't think he thinks i don't think he believes that one person can govern an entire country uh so anyway Greta Thunberg being so incredibly angry at the leaders of countries at Trudeau for not doing more I get it I'm angry too however the fact is people need to change on an individual level to get change on a higher level 
it's a bottom-up system. That's just how it is. Uh, that's democracy, basically. Uh, and the simple fact is, most people are in favor of the pipeline, which is one of the things that Greta was really critical of uh, Trudeau for. I think any government can't do anything in four years. They spend the first three trying to reverse what the previous government did, and then the last year trying to earn the trust of the population so they can get elected, get elected again to actually do a cha- make a change. And if you want to see if Trudeau would actually use the money from a pipeline to further environmentally sustainable practices, uh, education, you know, switching people who work on the oil sands to working on wind farms or tidal farms or solar farms, you know, you need to reelect him to give him that opportunity. You know, we live in a world where people expect instant results and that's just not how these things work, especially when it comes to climate change and the environment. Uh, you need, and the economy, you know, you need to give these things time. You need to give society times change. I know I'm sitting here ranting about how society isn't changing, but we've had 20 years when did when did an inconvenient truth come out? Two thousand four, something like that. And it just yes, I am probably going to vote liberal, depending on the writing. I don't want the conservatives to win. Uh, I like the way the liberals run the country. I think they're doing what they need to do as elected representatives. I think they are representing their country. I think they're doing their making policy that matches what the people want. And unfortunately, everyone thinks they're the most important person in the world and doesn't accept the fact that there are 35 million other people in this country and that just because there's couple hundred people standing around you chanting the same thing doesn't mean that that's what everybody wants. I think I think the vast majority of people do believe that climate change is a thing. Quick side note, I think these protests are dumb as shit. I think shutting down bridges is dumb as shit. I think it creates a larger divide uh, even between even between people who aren't climate change deniers, you know, risking people's jobs, uh, showing up late for work, people are going to be idling, idling their engines, people are going to be not able to go to work at all, people are going to be, you know, driving the long way around to get to work, producing more carbon dioxide, and you're just going to piss people off. Nobody, nobody is sitting behind a line of people blocking a bridge and saying, yeah, they have a point, you know, you're just creating a divide, and as per one of my previous singles, talking is the key, discussing, sitting down, getting to know people, not just shouting and inconveniencing others because you think it's the only way to get things done. Uh, I read an article today saying that there's been an increase in racism and uh, condoning violence online 
and that's just not the country that I, you know, that's, that's, that's not who we are. And yes, it's online, yeah, blah, 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 but it really, come on, guys. I know the people listening to it aren't those people, but it's, it's just, God, people have different views, and that's okay. I don't think it's okay to disagree with fact, and with facts, you know, facts are facts, they're not opinions, climate change is a real thing, but fucking preventing people from going to work in the morning, you know, not, they're not going to get pay that day, what if, what if it's a single mother struggling to feed her kids, you know? It's it's just not okay, and it's it's the wrong way to go about doing these things. It is the wrong way. So I think I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna kind of, maybe bring it to a close now. This is going pretty long for a single. And, you know. Kind of say that. This is why I'm going, into ecology and conservation. Because. You can't argue with science. Well, you can argue with science, but it's invalid. You can have opinions on science, but facts are facts and numbers are numbers. And if the science is done right, then maybe I can help legislation, public opinion. I can do things to help change my community, my country, the world for the better you know, by providing the science and the data and by helping, you know, I think, I think that's the, that's the best way to go about doing things, not blocking fucking bridges. It makes me, makes me so angry. Anyway, my throat is getting sore. Uh, I'm sure as soon as I stop this, I'm going to think of something that I forgot to say, but I'm going to close on the note that I opened with Climate change is real. Whether or not it's anthropogenic, say what you want to say. It's happening. And the worst thing that could happen by improving the way we treat the world is that we treat the world better and it keeps getting warmer. Uh, however, if you look at the rate of extinction, it's not just climate change that's killing those things that's killing those species, you know. I just remembered something that I wanted to say. Climate change really hit home for me when I was taking a, a an aquatic ecology class. That was very it was it's a fourth year course and very like self-directed. And one of the projects was to gather data on the internet in some way and present it to the class and my group did large scale uh, environmental effects due to climate change we did things like uh, glacier melting um, flood episodes uh, and I did I did coral bleaching and this thing happened from 2015 to 2017 where the sea surface temperatures, SST... Okay, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. Coral bleaching is caused by high sea temperature and ocean acidification. 
and the 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 reports and the papers the publications that I read said that anything above one degree of variation is enough to start killing corals off uh, you kill the microorganisms inside them and then all it leaves behind is the calcium carbonate exoskeleton or skeleton I don't know if it's an exoskeleton the calcium carbonate structure which is why it's called bleaching because all that's left is the white um, so the ones I looked at just considered heating and not the acidification uh, anything above 1.5 degrees of variation above or below the norm is considered uh, I can't remember the word for it catastrophic bleaching it's basically 95% chance of bleaching you're guaranteed a coral bleaching event from 2017 or 2015 to 2017 for 24 months I want to say ocean temperatures ocean surface temperatures which is with the top 10 meters of the ocean which is where you find a lot of coral um, especially um, uh, tropical corals the Great Barrier Reef uh, the numbers I were looking at I was looking at was specifically from an area of the Great Barrier Reef. It had sea surface temperatures one degree or above. Maybe it was 16 months. One degree or more higher than the previous 40-year average. Twelve of those months were 1.5 degrees or more. Some of them were two degrees above the previous 40-year average. That translated to the loss of almost I don't want to talk out of turn here. I'm going to quickly check my data and then get back. Okay, so I couldn't find I couldn't find my specific data, but I found an article here. Uh, it says 75 it was from 2014 to 2017. It says all told more than 75% of Earth's tropical reef experience, reefs experienced bleaching level heat stress between 2014 and 2017. 30% of all reefs globally uh, reached mortality level. 30% of reefs gone in three years. Okay, uh, Some reef communities lost 90%, 98%. They basically died. So the bleaching is when the the microscopic organisms are basically algae, which is what gives corals their color. So I did I did this project and for the first time ever I took raw ocean temperature data and I just plotted it on a graph. And I, I looked at where we're trending, I looked at where we're going as far as sea surface temperatures. And it was the first time I really understood climate change. And it makes me so... It makes me so sad. Because... One of my dreams has always been to go diving in the Great Barrier Reef. I love fish. I've kept fish as a hobby for over a decade. I've never had a saltwater aquarium because they're expensive. Uh, 
and time-consuming. I would love to have one at some point. And the sad fact is, at the rate we're going, the coral reefs that we know aren't going to be around. Now, truth be told, humans wipe out because of the mechanisms in which corals reproduce by shooting their sperm and eggs into the air, there's a mass amount of genetic variation, and you will very likely get species that can survive in higher water temperatures and grow and thrive, but it takes millions of years for reefs to get to the way they are. You know, reef communities, you know, reef communities can collapse in a month, and they'll never come back. They're not in anybody's lifetime, and potentially not even in, you know, the span of humanity we could spend the rest of you know humanity's life cycle never having a place to go diving and it's absolutely heartbreaking and i just you know that's when i really started thinking about what i can do to change it to to do my small part to protect what I can, and, you know, I encourage you to go out, and if you know how to manipulate data, go out and do it yourself, and really start with the raw data, you know, do projections for 100 years in the future, which is what I did, and, you know, the average sea surface temperature, the projections are like anywhere from, you know, 2 to 8 degrees increase from where we are now in the next hundred years and you know at that point you might not even be able to expect coral reefs to be able to handle those temperatures you know that uh, you know it'll melt the ice caps the less ice caps you have the more dark oceans you have the more dark oceans you have the more heat it absorbs the more heat absorbs the faster the ice caps melt it floods low-lying areas it kills off marine life we lose our salmon stocks we lose our coral reefs we lose our kelp forests uh i saw a presentation last week about um kelp forests and how to sustain them and you know everyone knows the classic example sea otters were wiped out in the fur trade they stopped eating sea urchins sea urchins destroyed kelp forests and kelp forests are just as important as coastal reefs they have incredibly important ecological and community dynamics within them and they're important to indigenous cultures they're beautiful they're amazing they support a whole host of wildlife and in this heat wave this el nino event uh, along the west coast of canada it killed off a very large portion of uh, sea stars and you don't see them anymore and sea stars are a predator of sea urchins and it actually damaged the kelp forests. So that's another thing that we could lose. And it's terrifying to me, and it's so sad. And I see the way people live their lives. You know, I see almost 100,000 people marching in Vancouver, and I wonder how many of those people drove that day to get there? How many of those people thought about the effects of you know, how much CO2 is pumped out because they're blocking the streets for people to get home from work. How many of those people get new tech every year? 
the the environmental impacts of technology, cell phones in particular, are massive. The mining for the rare metal, minerals, the production of the batteries, you know, how many of them just throw away their phones? You know, you can recycle a phone, but, you know, again, recycling, it ends up in the Philippines and just gets burnt illegally. They're not allowed to do it in the Philippines, but it's so, you know, purchasing of garbage and recycling is so lucrative that illegal companies are constantly popping up and you the, the Filipino government just can't manage it on their own so yeah I'm getting kind of emotional here and it just I hope you know if you have ever looked at anything in the world any natural wonder the Great Barrier Reef you know the Rocky Mountains, old growth forests, mangrove forests, the Amazon rainforest. If you've ever looked anywhere and went, man, I want to see that, you need to change the way you live and you need to encourage the people around you to, to change the way they live. Call them out for using plastic bags. Call them out for idling their engines. Uh, call them out for buying new cell phones every year just we need to change or else there's not going to be much left in this world that's worth saving anyway on that somber note thanks for listening uh this was a really long one and if you made it to the end thank you i appreciate it as always let me know what you think if you're listening to this you can probably contact me directly uh, I love to hear feedback. I love, I love to hear feedback. Uh, and uh, as always, stop wasting those days.